Well, good, good morning. Um, it's good to be here with you again. Uh, you know, Stephanie and I always enjoy coming down here and seeing everyone and spending time with you all. So thanks for inviting us to come and to worship with you this morning. Well, over the next two weeks, we're going to spend time in the book of Colossians. In this letter that Paul writes to the church in Colossae, we should know and hear that it is a letter about growing up. (laughs) It is a letter about growing up to become the men and women that we have been created to be, about maturing, not in some cultural or even religious version of adulthood, but it's about growing up into the to the version of adulthood that we are actually made for. And in the vision of the New Testament, growing up and into the people we were meant to be is always synonymous with being a person who is rooted in Jesus, a person who is clothed in Jesus. So let's turn to uh, Colossians 3, 1 through 11. Feel free to follow along in your Bibles or just read or just listen as I read. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on on earth, where you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, Purity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Well, this is God's word. It's given for our good. Uh, Let's pray. Father, we are thankful to be here together as your people gathered. We pray that you do come and that you meet us where we are. Perhaps some of us here are have questions and and doubts. Perhaps some of here are uh, experiencing loss or grief, loss of a job, or or even the loss of uh, a loved one. On the other end, God, we know that some of us here are rejoicing, rejoicing in new life and new birth, literally but also in uh, what it means to walk with you and the joy of that. And so, God, we ask that no matter where we are this morning, that you meet us and by your word that you would be our teacher and shape us into the image of Christ, our Savior. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, living in Chicago, I have to drive downtown from time to time. Not often, but whenever I do, it can be a frustrating experience. I'm sure some of you probably know what I'm talking about. (laughs) 
I can remember one time having to go downtown in the city and I decided to drive and not take the train. And I remember that I was kind of feeling like I was late for this event and I thought that driving would be the quickest way to make up for the lost time. So I got downtown and around the place where my event was, was taking place and I began to look for, for a parking garage. But the problem was that there were no garages that I could find. And perhaps you can relate to this. You know, at that moment when you are most desperate or, or you need to find that something that, that you're looking for is often the moment that it seems to be the farthest away from you. But just as I was getting to that frustrated and desperate place, I spotted a garage out of the corner of my eye. But I quickly realized that I cannot get to it. It's on a one-way street going the wrong direction that I needed to go. But I have to tell you that I was tempted. I was tempted in that moment to forego the rules, to drive down the wrong way. I mean, it was, it, was, it was right there, and how much harm would it cause if I quickly made my way to the entrance of that garage? Well, I didn't drive down that road, sorry to say. Um, and And now that I made that decision to not turn down that street, there was no other way it would work. It might not have been the quickest route, but it was the right way. I had to take the long way around. I had to take the long way around, and it was filled with more traffic lights and an onslaught of people staring mockingly at me as they passed by in front of my car at the streetlight. <laughs> well, I think this is a great window into the heart of our passage that we have read together. In this letter, Paul's friends are wondering if maybe they could take a shortcut on their way to growing up in their faith. They're wondering if there is something that they are missing, some better way of practicing their faith some better way that they could inhabit their faith that would really open things up for them, that they would really grow them up fast into the people that they wanted to become. And you may hear this and think that, it, that that's a good thing that they, they want, right? And it's, and it's what Paul wanted for them, too. They wanted to get rid of the stuff in their lives that, that they knew was harmful to them. They wanted to get rid of the stuff in their lives that they knew was harmful to the people around them whom they loved, and at the same time, they wanted to put on virtue. They wanted to learn how to practice love. So what, what they wanted was a good thing. Which of us here who are Christians wouldn't want the same things, right? I mean, that's what I want for myself, and I don't mind saying that's what I want for all of you as well. So Paul is desperate in this letter and in our text for his friends and for us to know that there are no no shortcuts to that, that they do not work. The shortcut that Paul is talking about that, that his friends were being tempted to do was to adhere to a bunch of rules as a means of achieving maturity. Relying on rules as a means to maturity, it looks like it should be a shortcut that works. It's, it looks so close, right? It just, it's, it's just right outside of our reach. 
But rules do not have the power to change the thing in us that really needs to be changed. It's absurd to even imagine that they do. We don't grow up by plastering a bunch of stuff, no matter how good that stuff is, on the outside of our lives. It is a shortcut that does not work. And this is the way that Paul said that to his friends. He said, with Christ, you have died to that way of living. We need, out, we need to grow up in our faith. It is to be made new from the inside out. There's no shortcut for that. It does not happen quickly. It is not the long, it is, it is the long way around. But it is the way that we have been made for. And the good news for people like you and me is that if we are followers of Jesus, we are already on that way. It is the only way that we need. As Paul said in the first verse that we read together, you have been raised with Christ. You have entered into that new way of life. So this is where Paul lays out the alternative way, the alternative path for growing and maturity. And how does that happen? Well, this is Paul's answer, and this is what he says. He says, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Let me just say something briefly about that phrase, because Paul is saying something important about who Jesus is and about his identity. In the Old Testament, that phrase, the hand of God, was used all the time to talk about God's action in the world. His hand is what does his work in the world. It is fully part of him. And part of what Paul is doing for his friends is identifying Jesus as God. He is how we know who God is. It is also an imagery of authority. He is seated there like a judge in a courtroom, like a king on a throne. He is the sovereign over the entire created order. He is the king of this place. And what is important in this short little phrase is that Paul is saying that the most exalted thing that, that he can say about Jesus is that he is God. That he is the uncontested sovereign over the entire created order. And this is Jesus who gladly, who gladly bears his scars for people like us. That he is the unrivaled sovereign of the world who lays down his life. So this is what Paul says, to seek the things that are above, where he says it a little bit differently in verse 2. He says, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. And this is Paul's alternative vision for how we grow into maturity. And what, what does this mean? Well, this is a call to order ourselves around Jesus, to order our lives around the self-giving love. Of Jesus. Let me say that again. This is the call to order ourselves around Jesus, to order our lives around the self-giving love of Jesus. Seeking the things that are above is the long way around. It is not quick and it is not always easy. It's not easy because there are a lot of counter stories in our world that tell us that giving of ourselves is for suckers. 
Or the counter story that all my happiness or joy in this world is predicated on whether or not I get the things that I want. Or the story of the world that what you, see, what you can see with your eyes or touch with your hands, that is all that there is to life. Perhaps this is why in verses 3 and 4, why Paul describes quite beautifully what it means to be a Christian. He wants his friends and he wants us to know that the life that we have been called to, that they will not always be understood. They will not always be accepted in a world that is noisy and loud with competing stories. So he tells us the truth about who we are. He says, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. This will not always be so. There will be a day when the true story you hear will be the story that everyone hears and knows to be true. You see, in verse 4, he says that when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So Paul leans into this. He leans into the reality of being made new in Christ, of being hidden and clothed in the self-giving love of Jesus. And you see, over the next 13 verses, he gives to his friends and to to us concrete instructions of things that ought to be taken off in in the life of someone who has been made new, in in the life of someone who has been hidden with Christ in God. And then he turns and he makes very concrete instructions about the things that should be put on, and we'll talk about that next week, in their place. He starts these instructions with probably the most jarring image in this letter. He says, put to death. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Paul doesn't just say you should regulate these things to smaller and smaller places in your lives. He doesn't say you should just cage these things up and keep them out of public view and in private so they they don't do as much harm. No, he says that that they should be killed without pity and without remorse. But if we are close listeners, we know that Paul's words are not new words. We heard Mary read this morning, read from Matthew, Jesus' words that if anyone is to follow him, he says that let let them deny themselves to take up their cross and follow me. For whoever will lose their life for my sake will find it. And church, this dying, this dying that Jesus talks about, that Paul talks about, is essential. It is essential for any of us who want to live into the person that Jesus has made us to be. Perhaps if we're honest, these words, they sound strange to us. They sound strange because we live in a world that says we ought not to deny ourselves. Right? That we should not restrict ourselves, that our unfettered desires are the shortest route to our happiness and peace and satisfaction. Still as strange as these words might sound, they should not be a surprise. Right? Jesus does not ask us to go and do the things that he has not already done for us. When we cling by faith to his death and his resurrection, we die with him. And we are raised with him. This is the fundamental reality that Paul speaks of over and over again 
in this letter, that we have died with Christ and we have been raised with him. This is the fundamental reality that we are to set our minds upon. Because if we have died and we have been raised with him, it looks like something specific in our lives. Well, for starters, there are things that need to be taken off. And this list of things that need to be taken off is born out of a relationship. It's not some abstract list of morals and rules from on high. No, what he is asking is for the beauty and the power and the love of Jesus to flood into every part of our life. And I have to tell you that getting that right, getting the difference between get up and do a better job with be who you really are, getting that right is a huge part of growing up in the Christian faith. Let me just say one last thing about that ethic that is built on a relationship of love. Well, if that is the kind of relationship that I am in, that any of us are in, then we will have to be willing to change. And here's what I mean by that, and I can only illustrate it in a human way. Me, I love my wife. I love Stephanie. And I hope that I can say that and you can all take it for what it is, right? But the important thing, the thing I really want to get at is how does Stephanie know? How does Stephanie know that I love her? How does she know that it is true? I mean, I can say it. I can buy her flowers and I can try and give her everything she wants within my own power. But when push comes to shove, how does Stephanie really know that I love her? I mean, she will know that I love her when I let her cross me. She will know that I love her when she asks me to change who I am and I try to do it. She will know that I love her when I subject myself to her, when I try to change what I do because of her. She will know that I love her when I give up myself for her, even when I give up the stuff that I think that I really need and like. Because that is how love is known. That is what love does. And church, this is precisely the nature of the relationship we find ourselves in. If we can get our minds around it, if we can even fathom it, Jesus has subjected himself to us. He gave up everything that was rightfully his so that through his poverty, we might become rich. He was crucified and died and was buried. He descended into hell, and he did this for us before we even knew him, before we even wanted him. He did this in love for one reason, so that we could have, so that he could have us. And so the question is, in the face of that kind of love, will we let him cross us? Will, will we let his glory and power and love, they f- will we let them flood into our lives so that we can change and be who we were made to be? So it's with that kind of relationship firmly, firmly behind them, Paul tells his friends the things they ought to put to death. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which he just exposes as, as idolatry. 
And then in verse 8 and 9, he gives another list of things that ought to be taken off, and anger and wrath and malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth, to which he adds, stop lying to one another. Most scholars, they think the first list is all about a disoriented sexuality. It begins with, it be, begins with sexual immorality, those acts that exist outside of marriage, that it, that it is the outward and the observable act. But this list quickly moves towards the inward attitudes and inward inclinations that, every, that are every bit as corrosive to people like us. The life of fantasy, the life of misdirected desire that lies hidden under the surface, that funds all kinds of things like addiction and shame and sadness in our lives. Right, Paul says that these things have to be killed. And I hope that is an obvious thing to say. Because these things, it's obvious because these things do not look at all like the self-giving love of Jesus. Right? Just look at those lists. They are about getting at and using selfish things to get from people our selfish desires and ends. Is not, not Jesus' way of life that he has given to us And so it cannot be part of our life. And just look at the second list. It starts with anger, and then it moves into all the unchecked ways that anger bubbles up in our communities. It looks like slander and malice and obscene language and perhaps the most dehumanizing action, removing truth altogether from our relationships when we lie. Paul says that these need to be killed They do not lead to peace and love, but to violence and away from the way of life intended by Jesus for his people. So Paul knows that these things are not completely behind his friends and himself. I mean, he's not naive to suggest that they are completely gone, right? But he uses the language of the past to impress upon them this fundamental reality of the Christian life, that these actions these desires, this idolatry, this is our past if we are in Christ. We have been made into something new and free to become the human beings that we were meant to be. And he says in verses 9 and 10, if you have put off the old self and the new self is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. We shouldn't diminish this way of thinking about about the Christian life. And for Paul, knowing things and thinking hard about things is a big part of what it means to grow up as a Christian. In this case, it is, of course, knowing the truth about God, about who God says that we are. Knowing we have been raised with Jesus and knowing that living out that is one of the best tools we have to strengthen our lives to take off all of those practices that dehumanize and alienate and divide and destroy. It's like taking down the Confederate flags in our lives and among our friends because it's the old way. It's the past that is filled with anger and hate and disorder. It's the old way that needs to be put to death. We are also being renewed into the image of our Creator, as our text says. And this is Paul's way of saying that we are being renewed to look like Jesus. We're being renewed to be like Jesus and to become a community 
that is renewed. That any of the things about power and class and status that Paul lists in verse 11, that those things are no longer relevant. They're no longer operative in any powerful way in our lives. Because as Paul says, Christ is all and in all. And that is the party to which we have been invited. And you know, Jesus has a name for this party. He calls it the church. And the party has started, and he throws it for our good and the good of the broken world around us. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for these words, these words of life that speak to us, that we have died and we are risen with Christ, that we share in that. God, I pray that we can lean into those things, these words, these powerful words, that you would give us wisdom and insight in what what they mean and how they flow and move into our life. Make us... Make us new into this image, the image of our creator, Jesus, that we may be a community that loves our neighbor, that loves our enemy, that loves those who hate us, and we do so because we were once the enemies of our good God, but he loved us even then. So we ask for your grace as we move and we move out from this place. In Jesus' name, amen.